Tonight's reading comes from Luke 146 through 55. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Of the word of the Lord, amen. Um, I think Allison could come back up here and I could just give her the mic and she could keep preaching uh, after that song right now. Did you hear that sermon she just preached up here? Um, I was feeling it. And then um, Eric Blythe is back this week. I don't know if he's still in here. Is he still in here? Yeah. Is he upstairs? Is he up here? He went outside to hang with his kids. Um, but he was, he was preaching a little bit over there with his guitar. I don't know if you guys heard that sermon. He was uh, preaching over there. But so awesome to have so many voices up here uh, leading us tonight. Um, as we continue our series on Embody, and this month Embody Advent, and tonight we're talking about a song of waiting. Uh, as many of you know, uh, I've been surfing a lot with my son. I talk about it sometimes here, and uh, I posted about it a couple weeks ago that we had this really amazing experience. Uh, we were out surfing, it was uh, last Tuesday, and, uh, or like a week and a half ago, and um, it was a sun, the sun had gone down and just below the horizon, and I told Harper, hey, last wave, you know, because it's getting dark, and then you get, start getting sharky and all that kind of stuff, so you're just like, you know, last wave, and it's like 55 degrees outside, so anyway, Harper takes off on this wave, and is a head-high wave, and he just disappears, and I can't see if he's made it. And the sky, as I look at the sky, is, is orange and, and, and pink and, and purple and deep, deep, dark blue and then stars. And so I just see this wave starting to, to collapse in front of me. And then I see my son rise up onto this wave that he had made the drop and he was rising up and he's just silhouetted by this sunset. And then he drops back down and he keeps coming back up and down the wave. And in my heart as his father, I am like taking as many photos as I possibly can. It's this magical moment for me. And about 15 minutes later, I paddle as hard as I can. And I drop in on this wave and it's a head high wave and the ocean, the wave is coming up out of the ocean and the, the sun has gone down even further. And so the colors are even like darker, but richer. And the wave is so glassy that the colors are reflecting perfectly off the wave. The wave is like purple. And I felt like I was in another world. And it was a great wave. And I was just carving along this wave. And then when I came in to the beach, I started screaming and shouting. And I was like, ah! And there's people, I didn't realize that there's people sitting on the beach in the dark, right? Um, 
I was so happy. I was so full of joy. It was an amazing experience that I will never forget. That in many ways I want to see again. And in the midst of that joy, though, I want you to know that there's also a lamenting. There's also the times for me that I have missed my son, that I have missed him in the moment because I was too busy with work or I was on my phone or something happened that I missed this magical moment of being able to see my son and celebrate my son and connect with my son. And there's also a lamenting for me. It sounds strange, but if God really wants to tell me he loves me, he can send me more purple waves, right? But there's times where, where I'm suffering, where I feel alone, where I feel like God doesn't see me, where magical things aren't happening. And I begin to think, man, maybe he's just forgotten about me. Maybe he's no longer paying attention. Maybe I pushed his love a little too far. So there's this lamenting of like thinking that that had become reality. But now this new breath of life, this new joy coming. Recently, there's been some, some celebration about women uh, rising up into higher places in government, in the workforce, uh, even in the education system here at PBA, we, there's a new female president. And so there's this moment of celebration, this moment of like, oh, this is amazing, this is great, right? But along with it, there's a lamenting. There's a lamenting that only 100 years ago did women have the right to vote here in this country. In this country. A country that was formed, founded 200 years ago and said that Every single person was created equal. But only a hundred years ago could women vote here. And there's much work to be done for this nation. But there is also much work to be done for this church. And for the church universal, for the church as a whole. And tonight I want to speak to you about, as a church... How do we engage in this work and, and how do we deal with the waiting? As, as Drew was up here lighting the candles and he was talking about how do we light these candles of peace, love, and joy in the midst of all this waiting? So I want to give you three things tonight as we talk about waiting. Three things that I want you to make much of. The first thing is I want you to make much of Mary. That's point number one. Point number two, I want you to make much of the low-key reversal. I throw the low-key in there to stay relevant with the young people. I know you know what that means. The low-key reversal, right? Willio, you get it? Yeah, right? Um, and then lastly, to make much of the promise. Make much of Mary, make much of the low-key reversal, and make much of the promise, Make much of Mary, verses 46 to 49. I want to talk about in the South, and I want to talk about in my theology and in 
church history, my experience of Mary. First of all, in the South, where I grew up, in Tennessee, the most shameful thing that you could be in the South when I was a kid growing up was a pregnant, unwed teenage girl. That was the most shameful thing you could be in the South where I grew up. That's exactly the thing that God is going to use to lift shame in this world. Theologically speaking, uh, I was taught early on that it was Eve who first believed the lie. I remember as a young boy sitting in an all-boys Bible study, and we would joke about if Eve hadn't done it, if Eve just hadn't eaten the apple, which was fruit anyway, but if Eve hadn't eaten the fruit, that we wouldn't have been in this mess. And there was kind of this jostling, joking around, whatever. But these things begin to cement into culture. And where we made much of Eve reaching for the fruit, we made very little of Mary being the first one in Luke's gospel to believe. If you're going to make much of Eve, you better make much of Mary. Because according to Luke, she's the first one to really believe. To really believe. It's this woman who will believe. And not just believe, but bring it into this world. She'll bring it into this world. And then in church history, uh, we sit in a Protestant church today. Uh, there's a Catholic church and there's a Protestant church and there's an Eastern Orthodox church and there's many different types of churches but about 500 years ago or so uh, the Protestant church broke away from the Roman church and in in the process of doing that they threw away so many things that were rich with history where the Catholic church would be accused of making much of Mary the Protestant church made very little at all. She's barely mentioned. She's barely looked upon. And, and tonight, I want us to know that number one thing that we need to do as we're waiting, as we're doing this work, is we need to make much of Mary. We need to make much of Mary. If, if our cause... We have, we have thought that it is all about listening to Jesus, to hearing Jesus. That has been our emphasis in the Protestant church. But friends, if that is the case, we missed what Jesus wanted us to hear. In verse 46, in the scriptures, in the Bible, for it says, Mary said. Mary said. Churches around the globe today read this text preached this text, celebrated this text, and the first lines of it are Mary said. That word said in the Greek means to lay something to rest. That what Mary is saying, she's putting like a stamp on it. This is reality. This is real. Mary said. And Luke, this inspired writer of the gospel, lists As his first theologian, his first minister, his first preacher in the New Testament is Mary. Mary said. There's eight hymns that the church sings during this time that come from Scripture. Mary's is one of them. This is deep in church history, but it has so often been ignored in the Protestant church. 
Mary said. In a culture where women were voiceless, Luke is reflecting the ears of a new way forward. While Zacharias, if we go back into that text in chapter 1 there, Zacharias, who's a man of the temple, will be silenced. It is Mary who will give us a song. It is Mary who will teach us to sing. And Luke not only hears her words, he believes them. J.D. posted this quote by Caitlin Hardy Shetler that says, The real scandal of the birth of God lies in the cracked nipples of a 14-year-old and not in the sermons of ministers who say women are too delicate to lead. That Luke hears Mary. That Luke says Mary is teaching him and I want her to teach the world. She has the strength and the power to lead. And what is it that Mary is putting down? What is it that she's putting to rest? That the God of Israel, the Most High God, verse 48, is mindful of her in her lowly state. Or better translated, that he gazes upon her with admiration and respect. That the God, the Most High God, sees Mary in her lowly state and gazes upon her with admiration and respect. And he does it in her lowly state. It is God who sees her there. God may be the Most High God. But what makes God so high is that he still gazes upon us with admiration and respect when we are in the most lowly state. Mary believes the look in his eyes, so much so that she believes her voice matters. She believes her soul matters. She believes her spirit matters because she says, I am going to give glory to God. She has something. She believes that she has something worthy that she can give to God. This woman has believed the look the way in which God sees her. And she gives her praise, her song. And it's going to transform the world. Mary will always be called blessed. Mary will always be called blessed. Do you want to sit at the feet of Mary? Would you like to sit at the feet of Mary? I want to tell you that something has happened in me in my own story, in my own journey, not just in the last 10 years, but even more recently, as I've raised daughters in this world, in this culture, in this church, and in some ways it's easy to think about empowering uh, women out there, but when you bring it to home, when you bring it into the house, that's where a culture that's been deeply embedded in you, you have to do battle with it. And I've been sitting at the feet of Mary. I want to tell you that when you sit at the feet of Mary, one thing you know about Mary is that Mary actually sits down on the floor with you. Because she knows the God that found her in her lowly state. Got to make much of Mary. 
It is wild, isn't it? Mary wants us to see God. She praises him. She worships him. She glorifies him. And God wants us to see Mary. Crazy economy that we find in God's economy. When we lift God up, he then lifts us up and says, look, look at this woman. Of course, I could have stood up here and said, you know, make much of Jesus. That, that would be maybe more of a traditional thing to say. Make much of Jesus in your waiting. And that's true. Make much of Jesus. But I want to tell you that if you make much of Jesus, you will make much of Mary. You will make much of other people who are in a lowly state that we find throughout Scripture. And you will make much of those who are here today in our culture, in our society, in our world who are living on the margins, who have no voice, who are not seen. Make much of them. I had heard about this woman's work uh, probably because somebody from West Palm was friends with her and had traveled to Chattanooga, but that kind of got me interested because it was Chattanooga connection and I'm from Chattanooga and there's a West Palm connection. And there was this woman and she was doing castings of women's breasts and bodies and putting them on display. It was for women who had been through uh, abuse, physical, sexual, verbal, through through the uh, objectification that happens in our society. So through so many things uh, of, of hard times. And this woman had, was an, art, an artist and she had done this uh, art installation. And she came here 10 days ago uh, to cast in here and to do an installation here in West Palm. And I want to read to you something that she said uh, 10 days ago when she arrived here. Uh, something that she has learned uh, about what does it mean to, to create from the vulnerable place? What does it mean to, to really believe in this thing called the low-key reversal? I believe you see it in her words here. Her name is Allie Walker, and this is what she said 10 days ago as she stood in front of Epstein's house. Today I sat in what was formerly Epstein's driveway and I wept. It felt like a fire. Before casting in West Palm, I needed to look this hollow place in the eyes. And soon this house will be dust, just like him. Make much of the low-key reversal, verses 50 to 53. In verse 50, his mercy, his compassion, his tender mercy, this is a reversal of how we have often seen God. Often we have seen God in our lives growing up, maybe in the family you grew up in, maybe in the church you grew up in, that God was a God of wrath, that he was waiting to judge you, that he was waiting to unleash his anger upon you. And Mary says he is the God of mercy. He's the God of tender mercy, of compassion. Invest in that reversal. And those who fear him, verse 50, and so often we think, oh, that, was, that means that we are to, to tremble before God, that we are afraid of his punishment. 
But the reversal is this. The reversal is to stand in awe of God's tender mercy. To stand in awe of his compassion. When you see beauty like that, to stand in awe of it. That's how I felt at the beach. I was in awe of how beautiful, how kind God could be to me. Is that 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 awe of how wonderful he is. It's a great reversal. In verse 51, the proud in the innermost thoughts Those who see themselves better than, higher than, these people of power will be brought low. Their legacy will be brought to dust. Buy into that. Buy into that type of reversal. The lowly, verse 52, he brings high. The person who depends on the Lord instead of himself, he will bring them high. In verse 53, the hungry, he is filled, he has welcomed them to a banqueting table of wholeness. Of wholeness. And these are the stories I heard from the women who were cast by Ali. Stories of healing. Stories of being met in a low place. And being known there, and being held there, and being healed there, and finding wholeness there. In verse 53, he sent them away, the powerful, the rich, empty, empty. And that word in Greek means hollow. I think back to Allie's words as she's standing there looking at that mansion which represents so much power in our culture, in our society. And she's able to see through it, to see how hollow it is because of the great reversal. Make much of the great reversal. Let it sink into your lungs, into your bones, so you know it is coming. If you are going to be doing the work of justice, if you're going to be doing the work of flipping the world upside down, you have got to hold on to the great reversal. On Thursday night, we had a leaders gathering here uh, for story group leaders, and Mary Stuckey said this incredible quote, and then I asked her, Mary, what did you say? And she said, I can't remember. And then um, I texted her again today. She's like, I can't remember. But this is what I remember her saying. She did a, a, a story group with Robin Hansel. And everybody who was in it loved it. And she, yes, and they, they did this book called The Artist's Way. And I would encourage you uh, to get in that group maybe next semester if you want to uh, or, or get it and read it over the holidays. But in that book, one of the things that basically comes to a point is, is finding in yourself Finding in yourself the lie. The lie that came in that said you can't be or you're never going to be the artist that you were made to be. Let me put it another way. That, That there was something that came in, something that happened to you in your life that is going to keep you from creating the art that God created you to create. 
that you're not going to reach your full potential, that you're not going to be who he made you to be. See, Mary had a lot of obstacles standing in her way. She had nationalistic obstacles standing in her way. Her nation was being occupied by the Roman Empire, who kept peace by the cross. She had nationalistic obstacles in her way. But she also had cultural obstacles in her way. She was in a culture that did not value the voice of a woman. It did not value the witness of a woman. Culturally, she had obstacles. And they were religious obstacles. They were religious obstacles. It was men who held the power in the temple. And she did not have a place there. But here we see as Luke unfolds this story, it is the man of the temple who is silenced. And it is this pregnant teenage girl who teaches us about the God most high, who preaches to us, who sings to us, who invites us to come sit on the ground with her in the lowly place, because that is where this God dwells. That is this where, where this God sees. That is where this God hears. That is this, where this God looks upon us with admiration and respect. That we are to make much of that promise. In the face of all these, Mary could have withdrawn from the empire. She could withdrawn from culture. She could have withdrawn from religion. And she could have hid. Or she could have conformed. She could have just gone along with it and just survived. But Mary does something so incredible. Something in the face of all of that. She takes this incredible risk. This incredible vulnerability to create art and bring it into the world in unison with God. In trust with God. And whether, whether it's a baby or a business or, or whatever it is, a service that you have been called, an art form that you have been called to bring into this world in the face of it all, it is so vulnerable and so risky. And you can withdraw or you can conform what God has invited us into is this great vulnerable act of inviting him into us, into our hearts, and from that place creating into this world. This is the great risk of Mary. If Eve had believed the lie, Mary believed the promise. And here it is, the promise that God never stopped adoring. He never stopped adoring Eve, and he never stopped adoring us. Never. And he never will. That, that God would adore us so much that he would make his home inside of a woman. 
that he would adore us so much that he would entrust himself in that way to be brought into this world in that vulnerable way. The vulnerability of Jesus, I don't think we can make much of it more than, I don't think we can make enough of it. We can never make enough of that reality. And that is the promise that Mary believed that God came that near to us. And he still is. Let us pray.